As we begin the new year, we read from the first lesson from the prophet Isaiah. And I apologize, Phil, I realize I gave you the wrong reading. <laughs> it's not chapter 2, it's chapter 9. But anyway, I'll get to that in a moment. But the reason this is significant, because you may have noticed that in our Anglican lectionary, we don't usually get readings from the Old Testament. The Old Testament lessons are usually read at morning and evening prayer. But there are very few Old Testament lessons in a service of Holy Communion. Now, this is not because the Old Testament is somehow unimportant. Though, there are, throughout the church and its history, there are those who continue to say, well, we don't really need the Old Testament. Those are just old voices. It's just a bit of background noise. If you're historically interested in those things, sure, go ahead and read from it. But it's not really important. It's not really that relevant to us today. It's an old voice, and it's a voice that we might even be best just to kind of ignore. This is not the case, especially on this, the first Sunday of a new year, which we have gathered together. And I'll explain a little bit more about this as we go along. But we know that the prophet Isaiah is speaking his prophecies. The word of God, the voice of God has come and spoken through Isaiah and has told him to bring this message of restoration, of hope, to the people of Israel. Because at this time, the people in Israel are in exile in Babylon. They have been removed from their homeland, taken from their homes and their fields, and forced into servitude under a foreign nation in an unknown land, the land of Babylon. It is in this context that the prophet Isaiah said, the Messiah is coming. We can rejoice. We can find hope. Our waiting is over. And the prophet speaks as though this promised Messiah, this child that is coming, is already born. Already born in Isaiah's time. He's speaking as though in, in that time when he's offering his prophecy, as though this child is already born and among the people. And all they have to do is discern who this Messiah is among them, and he will be the one that will lead the people back home. So yes, we can read it historically that Isaiah was wrong in his prophecy, that he was looking in the wrong time and in the wrong place. But as Christians, as the church, we read this prophecy of Isaiah as being fulfilled, of course, in Jesus Christ. Indeed, all prophecy finds its meaning in him. But we don't just read the Old Testament as a mere historical book. That's part of what it is. But we read it as more than that. Because if we're reading it with Jesus as the meaning that unlocks it, as the point of the prophecy. Therefore, we read it spiritually. And for us living in the past two years, reading this text is not very difficult, is it? We know we are in exile. We know we are waiting and longing for our return, a return to normalcy, a return to getting on with life. 
longing for this to be over, longing for a savior. But like throughout all human history, we humans tend to look in all the wrong places and to look to all the wrong people for our messiahs. Anyone who can promise us a solution, anyone who can promise us what we want to hear, that must be the case. So these words of Isaiah reverberate with us today. These words of longing, these words of hope. And as I said, Jesus is the fulfillment of all Scripture. Not just prophecy, but the entirety of Scriptures. But as I said, there are those who would say, no, 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 that's, we can read the Old Testament, as I said, as a historical background. It doesn't really have any point today, but that can't be the case. Because if Jesus is coming to fulfill, fulfillment does not mean replacement. Fulfillment does not mean negation. It's done, park that stuff. Fulfillment means more than that. It's about the opening of meaning, about the opening of ourselves, about the opening of ourselves toward transformation. Jesus comes to do that through and with the Old Covenant. And there's that small little detail in the Gospel reading where it talks about Jesus being circumcised on the eighth day, the eighth day after he's born. And we might think, wow, what a way to start off the new year. January 1st is the feast of the circumcision of Jesus. There's a great way to bring in the new year, isn't it? But the point of this is because it shows that Mary and Joseph are being faithful Jews, faithful to the customs and the law of Moses. We've just finished another year that we were ready to kick to the curb and say, be done with it, let's get on with it, let's move on. But we can't really do that, can we? As much as we want to move past everything that's happened in the last two years, we have to realize, just like these ancient voices of the prophets, these ancient voices of the scriptures are still used by God to speak today, everything we've gone through is for our formation. It is for what God is trying to do in and through and with us, to fulfill us, to fill us with his meaning, his purposes, to transform us into who he wants us to be. So it's not about kicking the past to the curb. It's about listening to it with a discerning and spiritual ear. We know that Jesus in his own life was actually very faithful in his observance of the laws of Moses. He was not faithful to the way the Pharisees interpreted that, and we know he got into trouble with them. But we see Jesus fulfilling, excuse me, everything. The spirit of the law, following the law. Because only he could follow it and therefore fulfill it in a way that no human has been able to do, or will ever be able to do. So in this prophecy of Isaiah, we are promised a child is born among us, and this child is the Prince of Peace, is God with us, Emmanuel, and the government rests on his shoulders, and he will be the one who brings in a new rule, a new kingdom. In Isaiah's time, they were expecting this Messiah, as I said, to be born among them. He would be the one that would free them from the Babylonians and return them to their homeland. 
And by Jesus' time, the messianic expectation is that Jesus will, or that the Messiah will be the one who will kick out the Romans. A new threat has emerged. Same promise, the Messiah, he will come and he will defeat the Romans with military might, coming in as the conquering hero. And this is why we have to listen to those ancient words, because Jesus comes and subverts all expectations of who the Messiah is and what he can and what he will do. We are expecting a military conqueror. Instead, we get a child born under the meanest and humblest of conditions, born to a poor couple, young, scared, under Roman rule, being told to go to a place that they've probably never been to, or if they've been there before, it's been a long time. In the context of 400 years of prophetic silence, the word of God has not been spoken by a prophet. The prophets have seemed to kind of have died out. And so into this silence, this promised child is born. Into 400 years of waiting and waiting and waiting, of longing, of despairing. Is there ever going to be an end to this oppression? Is there ever going to be a fulfillment of this promise? Was Isaiah just deluded in thinking, like, what are we supposed to do? 400 years of silence is enough to make people go desperate. And then we hear a new voice. A voice of God's heavenly angel army proclaiming and singing and rejoicing that yes, Isaiah's promise is true. That this prophecy has come to fruition that the child is indeed born on this very night. And the angels proclaim this to a bunch of nobodies. Shepherds are just hired hands. People that can't get employment anywhere else that have no other trade other than bodyguards for sheep. But the shepherds are given this voice. The shepherds are the ones who hear this good news first. And their response is they go with haste. They've just seen this heavenly angel army announce finally after 400 years of silence and waiting and desperation that the Messiah is here. And what's really interesting is both the haste in which the shepherds run, make a beeline for Bethlehem, but also the way that they are compelled to share with anyone and everyone who will listen the good news. In fact, the shepherds don't seem to even care how the people might respond. That people might shrug them off with indifference. That people might tell them they're crazy. That people might be hostile. That people might actually say, tell me more. The shepherds, all they are focused on is what they've experienced and they are compelled to share. They've heard the voice. They've seen the word made flesh. And now they give voice to everything they've seen. The promised Messiah is here. God is silent no longer. He speaks through his word, the word made flesh. So is the story of Christmas just some nice story from 2,000 years ago that we can 
maybe relegate to mirror history and move past? Or is it a voice that speaks to us today, that a voice that fulfills our longings, our desires, and gives us hope? What about you? The beginning of a new year, a time for resolution, a time for newness and freshness. As I said, we're ready to kick the past couple years to the curb, but maybe it's a time for us to reflect on what God has been doing in our own hearts and minds. How God has been forming us to hear his word. So that like the shepherds, we may go forward and share that same word. So if you were to have a resolution this year, maybe make it that God would fill you with that same joy of the shepherds. A joy at hearing God's word spoken, of seeing God's word come unexpectedly. The joy of God coming to live here and among us, in word, in sacrament, and in our own hearts and minds. Glory be to God in the highest. Amen.